0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Making a Scene. This is an Esplanade podcast about how art gets made. My name is Daniel Koch. I'm an independent choreographer, curator and performance researcher. In this episode, we'll be talking to an old friend of mine, Martin Schick, who is an interdisciplinary performer, choreographer, producer and activist currently based in Switzerland. Martin, do you identify with this word activist?
1: Hey there, first of all, thank you for having me. Also as an activist, maybe this creates a kind of fear, which it is supposed to be. I usually write something that I'm not an activist or not an activist yet, but I think an activist attitude is the right one to have, to put in place. So I'm writing this in a CV also as a kind of an orientation for myself where I want to go and where I shouldn't uh, lose my
0: focus. Mm, I think we'll definitely be talking about where we come from and where we're going. And actually, I remember when we were flatmates in Berlin, there was one day I was working on my bio and I was in the kitchen and then you sat down and we ended up having a chat about it. And in my bio, because of that day, I started writing that my earliest influences were Paula Abdul and Dirty Dancing I was just looking for an honest response to like how did I start working with dance and I absolutely loved Paula Abdul at that time and she called herself a choreographer and I was like what is that whatever that is that's what I want to be and then Dirty Dancing I was watching the dance sequences and just copying them because I'm from a A lower middle class or working class family And there's no access to dance classes for a boy So I was just copying all these videos So in truth, dance history didn't begin with ballet, Chinese dance or Martha Graham It was Paul Abdul and Dirty Dancing for me So one of the questions we want to ask you in terms of background, maybe you can start by sharing a little bit about where you come from. I know that you came from TV, actually, as well as theatre. So what were your artistic influences and how you became an artist?
1: So actually, I am coming from TV, let's say, because that was my cultural education. I grew up in the countryside in a small village that is more oriented on sports and whatever association you find in a village. So the window to the world was via television, and television was limited because there was only the Swiss channel that we could see because we were kind of a traditional family. I'm a very late, late bird, and a lot of time I feel very young in the art business. Even so, I'm over 40, I feel like 20, regarding the, let's say, the art education. I, I have in my past because my first contacts were maybe with eighteen, when I've seen the first ballet in life in Prague, when I was sitting in there in the first three, four seconds when the the curtain opened, I was already crying. Even so there was no there was no dramatic scene or anything. It was just the fact of being in a theater as if I would know that this is is something for me or this is where something is going to happen in the in the future. It's like coming home without knowing that you had this home before. And that's where this idea of becoming a ballerina grew and was kind of interrupted by our society that decides that a ballet dancer needs a start training when he's five years old. Also in this international competition where a guy that's 18 years old can hardly, how to say, speed up to have kind of the same level. This door was closed and later I was happy that it was closed because many other beautiful things happened.
0: Well, I think it's interesting to hear about how the interest in dance and performance also first came from the point of view of a, a spectator, a consumer even, because I am linking to this word consumer because I know that consumption marketization of the arts modes of production if it's not too big a leap it eventually became a very big part of what you do artistically now i wonder if you can very quickly describe that evolution from watching ballet at 18 wanting to be a ballerina <laughs> to doing the kind of work that <laughs> Sounds you do like today long
1: yeah Of course, you always get aware of the conditions of work. Mostly if the door is closed, you might be also a bit more critical than when it's wide open and you are advancing through this made-up environment. So if you have to install your place yourself, maybe you start with a different attitude. But then even doing critical performances in the rather open and independent art scene, I was totally confronted to this place or this condition of of the making of art which is a very special condition of course because Talking as a Swiss white guy, this is a totally, a totally privileged position. And for many years, that wasn't so clear for all of us what we were doing, that it was so much connected on what society actually put in place as a, a kind of a system where the cultures and the art scene uh, plays its role. We just did our shows because we we felt excited to Dance and show something that we can do, and to entertain the audience, but also entertain ourselves by being in nice artistic groups and talking about fancy um, topics. While doing this, you get more and more into this discussion with yourself about what are you actually doing and what it is creating, who pays for it, and why, and what is it creating in a bigger context by joining this art market machinery, it wouldn't be the same if someone is talking from another perspective or from another geographical spot. So this is very specific what I'm saying, but I think it's the only position I can take for myself, being in this eco-responsibility of the arts, as having this kind of pole position or privileged position to put it into question and actually to dismantle it and maybe creates a new system that is more, more fair and more accessible for others who are not in this privileged position.
0: This has always interested me in your work and in talking to you in a more personal way because I'm from Singapore and we are called the Switzerland of Asia. Well, we call ourselves that or we aspire to be the Switzerland of Asia. So I feel very obliged to be aware of the position of privilege as well in Singapore and to be aware of not just critiquing it but also aware of how I cannot run away from the fact that this is my background and it influences and shapes the way I I think I have grown up but continue to operate inevitably. So how would you describe Switzerland as a context now? How is it important to you what Switzerland means?
1: What Switzerland means to me of course, it's different to what it means to others, as I am in this identification with this place without being able to hide it. So I as you said before, we uh, even lived together in Berlin. And that was a time... That was very important for me to get out of this Swiss context. But it was also a time when I learned that I belong to this context and I'm responsible, I'm co-responsible for this context. And when I did this demands for support, financial support for the city of Berlin, I felt very stupid because I could just go back to Switzerland and use the money that is created there because we have actually much more. Who am I to go to Berlin and steal the money of people that are having much less resources? So that's somehow one of the reflections I had that I should actually go back because that's where I can be much more influencing the situation than when I'm abroad. That was a personal decision. I don't say that any Swiss person has has to do that, but having this access actually to those headquarter, let's say money headquarter, is something that puts me into a responsibility. And having the privilege many times in many discussions, we are just in the role of shutting up and stop talking because we actually have no idea. And this act of listening to others, to give voices to others that are having a totally different approach to those topics is is very important. Which, on the other hand, is not so easy if I'm in Switzerland and that's why I'm, I'm trying not to lose this connection to the outside, to the international context.
0: Well, I'm aware also that aside from this awareness of the relationship with capital, but also one's awareness of climate crisis... Has also resulted in you making a point to, after several years of doing a lot of international touring, decided to re- renegotiate the terms of your creation and production so that you do your very best not to travel anymore. Can you tell us a little bit about that decision? Yeah, that, that
1: was a decision that was personal, but it was also connected to the artistic practice that we're supposed to do. So there is this fact that. Again, talking from the Swiss perspective, we are quite a fancy artists and a successful artists if we travel a lot, even if we do a show for maybe 20 people in Singapore. It sounds great to be in Singapore and post a photo on Facebook saying, hello from Singapore, that's where I am right now, that create your cultural or artistic capital at home. This is a logic that I wanted to dismantle also for myself to not perceive myself as more important just because I'm far away, just because I'm traveling. And how could I create this identity as a more local artist a local operator where i can have much more influence because i'm staying more time and the production i do can be more intense and can be more rooted to the to the place and also more sustainable in that sense it was also a personal decision for my own health let's say i found it a very toxic practice and to fly a lot and to be two weeks in a place, making friends with people and leaving again. So I was longing also for these more durational relationships with people, with topics, with places, and being less in this uh, airports. It's an airport life if you're an international artist and <laughs> you do this practice. And at the same time, it was an interesting topic also to talk about in what sense the arts are joining this movement, this ecological movement that we're constantly addressing, but actually we are not practicing that topic. And my question was where I could start practicing it. And that's where I took some decisions to stay at least three months in a place and do works that I call radical works that are rooting totally different. So they are not composed of one project, but they're composed of several projects that are not So easy to communicate, but they create kind of a complex situation that I have to deal with. And it feels to me to be much more honest in what I'm doing. It's much less selling myself in this consumption logic. It's like a field. I just have to work and to create important situations more than creating a product.
0: Yeah, I can hear that very clearly about this idea of, well, basically this reconfigures what constitute a product of artistic work, of artistic labour. And I think that now, perhaps more than any other time, this has become a very pertinent question to ask, right, in the context of COVID. So I'm super curious to catch up with you over the idea of like, what do you at this moment think is the role of the artist? How can dance be a part of social rehabilitation, for example, in a post-COVID environment? Are these things that you think about?
1: Of course I do, because I think we are, we know a lot, we as a society, we know a lot, but it's sometimes difficult to access and to react on it. So the more news we read, the more we also get kind of in this anomaly, we cannot move anymore, We are we are shocked by what is happening as we are on a cognitive level understanding what is going on and putting it into your body and create an understanding that is different it's the same as we say for school kids it's difficult to learn actually something if it's just a theory but if you find a practice and a physical sensation that goes with it it's much easier to uh, go into this uh, new logic and that's something that where i think that dance is, is very important. I started to do this space, open up these uh, dance spaces again, this improv dance with DJs and creating a free space but I do kind of an introduction that makes clear that it's not about bringing your dance moves to the floor but that it's more a room to learn to be independent and personally involved in a collective space. How do I create my own understanding of the situation through movement in a space that is a collective space this is very important for the society to learn again to take your own decision where the music is like the politics it gives a certain rhythm and move but you are still free to decide how you are going to act on this or react on this and there's many things to learn in such a free space. This goes against this idea of the spectacle, where the spectacle becomes something that you you look at as something that is bigger than you. It's like a, kind of a religious thing. that You also see this in the architecture of the theaters. Even now, the modern theaters are created with a huge stairway where you always think, oh, the art is so far away, and how could I ever get there? It's supposed to be bigger than you. That's the monument, the spectacle that doesn't accompany you in your transformation, in your transition. It's bringing something that you don't know yet.
0: Well interestingly when I first heard that this series or podcast is called making a scene I was excited because I quite like this phrase in relation to what's happening now and listening to you now I'm I'm thinking about making a scene in three senses of the phrase one being making a spectacle something to be looked at like how do we make a scene for now like what kind of scenes need to be made now Then also rethinking the role of the artist. How does the artist takes up greater sense of urgency and agency into becoming some kind of impresario and understanding that we do have the ability through our versatile, flexible, agile ways of moving to possibly make or remake a scene and then also the sense of just simply causing trouble, making a scene, looking silly and being a troublemaker. I More and more, I feel like an independent artist clearly isn't only about making a show, making a spectacle. But also when we think about choreography, we also think about how we bring people together to collaborate and relate to one another differently so the social relationship being re-choreographed by the independent artist as an expanded practice really interests me a lot it's been a while since i heard about blue factory can you share a little bit about what blue factory is and what are some updates this is
1: a kind of a practice where I step out of the cultural sector because Blue Factory is organized. It's a public and private place. So it's a property of the state and the city. And uh, there is a company, a company with action years that is uh, money oriented or is also profit oriented, is developing a neighborhood. And the neighborhood is mostly for people who are working on technology and ecology, And newly, since I'm here, we also have this axe or this interest to create a social innovation place. And the social innovation place, the instrument would be culture. So how can culture contribute to this existence of the citoyen du futur, how we we call it, this uh, future citizen that knows how to live differently in a time in a close future? or actually even now, by practicing ecological principles, by taking part in discussions, conferences, in concerts, in institutions, micro-institutions that are created here. We have a core group that is composed by seven people, and they all represent a different sector. So there's the ecology, the finances, the social-cultural sector, the artistic sector, research, digital, and architecture. And together, we are creating subgroups, and one of the subgroups is this transition radio, which is a web radio with live DJing and electronic music. But at the same time, we are trying to go more and more in this understanding of what sense this radio can be an ecological place. When also. you
0: say ecological, do you mean like being part of environmental conservation? a very
1: open field of course. It's mostly taking part in the practice of being ecological, so not practicing those uh, toxic ways of making that we are used to, having a more local orientation or a more sustainable orientation. But it is also by education, by bringing up topics that could be interesting for young people to to think about and making podcasts and uh, having a kind of an appearance that is also bringing this coolness into being ecological. Is
0: this interest in working and thinking in ecological terms connected to your new and current work where you are working and dancing with animals? Because when I first heard that, I was pleasantly surprised because over the last two and a half years, almost three years now, I've been working on a piece with plants and trying to study Tai Chi and Taoism alongside the practice. So I'm really excited to hear more about what you're working on with animals.
1: Yeah, me too. I would have the same question to you. <laughs> I <It> would be <laughs> interesting what is happening there in this conversation you have with those non-human entities. I think it's something that is, is very fashionable right now in the, in the artist because it is following kind of a stream that was a philosophical stream. We are very influenced by the literature, literature that was created some years ago with Bruno Latour that yeah hit us somehow in our brains by opening up to others and it's something that we are not so much aware of and in some years we will touch our head fronts and say how could we put animals in cages and there will be a new respect that will be um, the new normal and right now we are far away from it. This process of bringing in the others into the arts, again, will be a long process. Of course, we start making shows with those entities, and we uh, interview them, we bring it on stage, and we, we kind of make a first contact. And then the next step will be how can we uh, actually be together, maybe as thanks to the arts we got there, but then is also the question how do we live together as an extension of those art pieces. And I found this place that is called the uh, Lab, which is in Chimail in Switzerland. They also do artistic projects and they are having a circus school they work with children and they have a lot of animals but those animals they are living together in a kind of a cohabitation it's like when you have these flatmates they have those flatmates that are quite different so they they go to the maximum of diversity within one flat let's say or one stable and there is also kind of a very soft transition to the human space so they live very closely to those animals and they work with those animals but the work is also not so much separated from their living and that's a place where we uh, have those dance sessions together with the animals where we always discuss afterwards what is actually happening do they really want to dance with us or are we forcing them to be in our new logic and this fun thing also to our motivation actually to open up but where is their interest and their needs and how can they have a profit out of this situation and so maybe but that's a good moment for you now (laughs) to introduce your work to this conversation
0: well if what you're describing is motivated by the question of how to involve the others quote-unquote into our lives I would say that the motivation for me initially was the opposite, whereby I was I was interested in how do I put myself aside and start to be able to sense what it's like to be an other. Because that question was really bothering me in an earlier work, in a couple of earlier works, where I just find it really a big challenge to ask myself or somebody in the audience to practice seeing things in a different way, to, to imagine for a while that you are not you don't have to watch it as yourself, but what it might be like to watch it from a different point of view. And then I was thinking about how do I watch something as a transgendered person, as a woman, as a black person, as a white person even? Like, how do I practice watching differently? So I suppose in the end, it came to more or less a similar kind of direction where there is also... I wasn't thinking about Bruno Latour at first, but I think this is definitely somewhere there. While we are aware that if the plants are present, I like that immediately people practice a different way of being attentive, that there is a different presence in the space and we can watch each other through the plants, with the plants, and maybe even entertain the question of, Is it possible to be watched by the plants? And I think these questions over the last few months certainly became a very big one in the sense that I'm aware everybody around the world is starting to buy a lot of plants and putting in their apartments when they have to be on lockdown. And the stillness that we are experiencing, the isolation, when compared and contrasted with plants, start to feel like a different way of being... Finding a new, different sense of strength and also just feeling maybe not so alone. The sense of isolation is less. And so I'm really curious about this. And also tying it back to the practice of Tai Chi and Taoism, which is a Chinese religion or philosophy, as well as physical practice. It's something that I didn't really know much about, but then working with plants... And thinking about nature or the lack thereof, when you are looking at a potted plant, I think has given me an excuse to find out more about Taoist philosophy again. So that really has been something that I think about a lot over the last few months.
1: Nice. We want to be part of that, of course.
0: Okay, because of that question, I don't know how to bring this conversation to an end. <laughs> to
1: end. Maybe it's, a, it's an open end. But, Maybe yeah, it's an this, open this end. This is a, yeah. one of the, the things that I find very problematic with the arts that we always try to find an end, actually. So we we create those situations, uh, like a performance that has a starting point and a, an ending point. And the ending point is the clapping. So since many... Since my first work on stage, actually, I always try to go around this fact of giving an applause or to create a situation because it's, it's kind of a an ending point where you can go back home and continue your, your doing your stuff. And the not clapping or the not ending, the open end, is a huge provocation for people because you're not assured that, yeah, you got to this point and now you can go back to your stuff. And I quite like this idea of not knowing where it goes and and not bringing it somewhere, but leaving the doors open. And I think what we say at the very end about this opening to others is also this opening to others in ourselves, to be open for a kind of a multiplicity of oneself and not trying to understand all the things, but maybe trying to be a different me in a different situation and trying out things. So this would help us to understand better the others because we inhabit different logics, and we are not acting and argumenting out of our own understanding. And it's all about this intuition and access to emotional understanding of what we are working with. And this is something that we are also working on to reshape network, where we try to create kind of new ways of governing artistic projects and situations this is exactly also where we always say this is unfinished by nature. This unfinished by nature is exactly what brings those two things together, that we will never stop growing. <laughs> it's not an ending point.
0: That feels like ironically a really good <laughs> and, way to, end, end, this conversation. to end this conversation. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm gonna put on my newscaster voice. Making a Scene is produced by Esplanade Theatres on the Bay, Singapore's National Performing Arts Centre. Look for more episodes of Making a Scene at esplanade.com slash offstage and on Spotify and SoundCloud. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more inspiring conversations with art makers.